That's a great song with a tremendous message, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, see, you get to the bottom of the barrel when everybody's sick. You just have to deal with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow, I tell you what, I was begging the Lord to get through that one. You should have heard me. I felt like I was alfalfa earlier today when I was running through it. <clears throat> My voice was cracking and crunching. My voice is doing pretty good, actually. I feel great, and uh, things are going good, but boy, the voice just doesn't want to get back quite to normal yet. And so you pray for me along the way, but I've been feeling a lot better. Boy, I thank the Lord for that. That's good. And uh, boy, a lot of people not feeling well, you know. And, uh, you know, so just be praying for folks as we get back on. It's good to see some folks across the auditorium that haven't been able to be here for a while. And glad you could make it back. And I know that you've been anxious to get back. But boy, I tell you what, when you get down and out with all this sickness, boy, it's tough, especially if you've got kids. Seems like they just pass it around, and before you know it, it goes from one to the next to the next, and moms are saying, you know, will this ever end, and, you know, and I'm giving counsel, this too will pass, and, <clears throat> you know, it's a rough one, you know, it's tough on them. Well, Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter one tonight, I don't really have any theme or anything I'm going for tonight, I just uh, felt compelled to get into the book of Jonah, 
We still got a lot of things going in our biblical truth series, and I've kind of taken a break from that. You know, the last time we discussed that, dealt with that, was with the Jews. We talked about them. And so we'll get back into that along the way. But I wanted to talk about just, uh, just get in the book of Jonah. It's been on my mind uh, this last couple of weeks. And so I decided just to take a look at it. And um, we're going to look at the first two verses of Jonah and just pull some thoughts out of it tonight and see what the Lord will give to us as we move along. Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's read the first three verses tonight. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow, isn't that sad? What a sad commentary that he sought to get out of the presence of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine? I think we can all imagine. I don't even think we have to imagine. I think we've all been there. When we willfully go into sin, we're basically fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So in that sense, I think we all understand what he was going through to some degree. But isn't it a shame to think that we would choose sin over the presence of the Lord? And yet, sadly enough, that is the case sometimes. And it doesn't matter how good of a Christian you believe yourself to be, you're still a human being. Right. We all are. And so we can identify a little bit with Jonah if we're honest. We may not necessarily take a ship to flee the presence of Christ, but we've taken some journeys away from him in certain other ways at times. So we meet with a man now that we can identify with. And this portion of Scripture, these first couple verses, there's so many thoughts here that I want to bring out. Just simple words that are used and how they, they just, I don't know, attach themselves to principles and thoughts around the Word of God. And so I want to just go ahead and um, have a word of prayer and let's get right into it. More of a Bible study tonight, not so much a message, if you will, a preaching message, but just something that maybe will encourage us and help us to see some truths that will make a difference in our lives as we move forward. Father, we love you. We thank you now for this time together. Be glorified, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the privilege and the opportunity to share these simple truths. And Lord, I, uh, I thank you, Father, for your leadership in them. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help me to convey them in a way that would be beneficial and profitable to your people. And Father, again, what a privilege it is to stand in this pulpit and to convey truth. Lord, may I be a good steward of truth, and may I be responsible with the authority that you've given me and the opportunity that you've extended to me, and not take advantage of that. And may I, Father, always realize what a large uh, responsibility it is, Lord. Uh, and I just pray, dear God, that you would just bless now in these next moments. May you fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. And may you just anoint every listening ear that they would hear, Father, in a way that would truly impact their lives long after they've walked out of this place. We'll thank you, we'll praise you for that, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> First of all, as he kicks off Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, now, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. You know, as we consider 
this book of Jonah, if we look at all passages of Scripture, we would call them the word of the Lord. And you know, here in the passage, the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Now in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I want you to take a look at that. We're going to see that God himself is in the speaking business. God's word is always going forth to people. In this case, the word of the Lord. But I'll tell you what, there's no word more important, no word more essential and necessary in your life and in mine than his. Look what it says here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now once again, there we note a couple of things. Again, he's in the speaking business. You know, with the exception of 400 years, the 400 years of silence from Malachi to Matthew, it seems to me that God has consistently communicated with his creation in one form or another. In this case, talking about the Old Testament saint, he tells us that he spoke to them through the prophets. He goes on to say now in the, the, the rest of that passage that he in these last days, the days in which you and I live, he speaks to us by his son. Now that is extremely important because see, when he speaks to us through his son, he's referring to the fact that he speaks to us through the word of God. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh, Jesus Christ. So when the Bible talks about this passage in Hebrew, when it's speaking about in those last days, he's spoken to us by his son. What he's saying simply is he's spoken to us through his word. Now, I love to see this passage in, in Jonah, and it says now the word of the Lord. If it wasn't for the word of the Lord, there'd be no need for the book, Jonah. If it wasn't for the word of the Lord, we'd have no frame of reference as to what truth is or what right is or what wrong is. And so in this particular passage, we see the word of the Lord. It's interesting about the word of the Lord. God's word is a, a very precious word. And you know, it's a word, it's, it's a word that endures forever. It doesn't matter whether it's back in Jonah's day or in our day, it endures forever. In 1 Peter 1.25, the Bible says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Man, we have that precious gospel that we now hold in our hands and that we share with others through our lips, and we tell them about the things of Christ. May I tell you, that that's a gospel that is forever. That's a truth that is consistently and, and will constantly be available. It's, it's written in heaven. It is, it, it's forever. It endures forever. Man, the message that you're giving today, it's, it's written in, in the heavenlies. And man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a wonderful truth. He says not only is that word endures forever, but it changes lives. I mean, when the Bible says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah I mean, as soon as you hear the word of the Lord, you need to think to yourself, wait a second. We're talking about someone speaking here whose words will endure forever. We're talking about someone speaking here 
whose words will change lives. In James chapter 1, verse 25, but whosoever looketh unto the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It's going to change your life. It's going to be a blessing to you. Man, if you want to run from God and his word, my friend, you don't have blessing in your future. I need, I want blessing in my future. But sometimes, let's be honest, wanting something isn't always enough. This book, this word that he now gives us endures forever, it changes lives. But it's interesting, it exposes hearts. Because we're going to see here that this word of the Lord comes to Jonah. But because of the word of the Lord, we're going to see who Jonah really is by what he does with it. In Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Again, we are going to see that, we're going to see exactly who Jonah is as a result of the word of the Lord and how it affected his life. By his response to this book, this word, his true state of heart was revealed. Now, if I said to you, Jonah was a prophet of God, I say, what kind of prophet was he? Would you say a faithful prophet? An erring prophet? A disobedient prophet? How would you describe Jonah today? Without judging him, of course. You all know that you can judge his deeds, don't you? Because we have the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord identified what the responsibility of that prophet was. And when he failed to live up to the word of the Lord, then he failed in his responsibility. So he's a very irresponsible prophet here. He's derelict in his duties. Matter of fact, he's even running from God. I don't know about you, but I would have rather had a different prophet on my side. If I had to pick teams, and it was a team of prophets, and I had Isaiah or I had Jonah, and I got first pick, I'm going with Isaiah. And you say, yeah, but that's not right. You shouldn't judge him. The Word of God did, though. It exposed his heart for who he really was. Can I tell you that when you and I fail to obey the Word of the Lord, it exposes our true heart, too? Listen, man, there's a lot in this phrase, the word of the Lord. I mean, it's amazing to me when I look at that. But he moves on. He goes on. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah, the son of Amittai. You know, when he calls us, he calls us by name. God knows who you are tonight. He knows who you are. You know, we don't serve an impersonal God. We serve a very personal God. 
He knows exactly who you are, and, I, and he knows who I am. Look at Psalm chapter 139. The Bible tells us even that he knows those that are his. Look what it says here, though, in Psalm 139. Beginning in verse 14. The psalmist is going to remind us of something extremely valuable and important. It's amazing how people go around today and we talk about such, you know, he has low self-esteem or he doesn't think very highly of himself. She doesn't think very highly of herself. Hey, look at this passage. You got every reason to, though. Not, Not in yourself, but in the fact of what God's going to say about you here. Look what it is here. The psalmist says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When's the last time you thought to yourself, you know, I'm going to praise the Lord. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When's the last time you thought that? Most of the time, we stand in a mirror and we go, man, I am frankfully made. No, you are fearfully made. You got to understand, with all of your so-called, you know, I don't know, goose or whatever you want to call them, you're exactly what God created, with a purpose in mind, by the way. He said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Well, marvelous are his works, except when it comes to me. Really? Is that what he said? No. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. I don't know about you, but that passage ought to encourage us. Man, I'm telling you, we deal with a God who who really, I mean, he didn't just provide the process of conception, but he also provided the growth that goes on in the womb and and in birth. He, He looked upon us before we were even born. He's the one that put it all together. He's the one that knows how it all works, and he made it happen that way. And you are valuable to God today. He saw you before you were ever born. And he he calls out to Jonah and he says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. He got specific. I'm calling you, Jonah, son of Amittai. I created you. I made you. Matter of fact, he's saying you weren't randomly picked or even just chosen by God for no reason. No, you were specifically designed and engineered for the work ahead. And can I tell you the same is true with you tonight? You've been designed and engineered by the master engineer. And, you know, we lose sight of that. Every one of us have things in our lives that, you know, or, or things about ourselves. We said, man, I wish this was different, or I wish I looked different, or I wish I, 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 I had better ability, or, or, or I was a little bit more, you know, uh, talented, or whatever it might be. But let me tell you something. That, that is not how God sees things. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? 
but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And he takes care of the sparrows, and he knows all of them. And he says, you are more valuable than them. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to say it with that passage. Um, I'll choose a baby over a baby seal any day of the week. Any day of the week. And twice on Sundays. You'll find another baby seal, but you won't find a baby with a soul. Now listen, you can get all caught up in all that movement going on out there about save the animals, but I want to save the babies. It's amazing. We'll murder babies, but we'll save baby seals. I don't even understand stuff like that. Don't even get it. You know why, you know why I don't get it? Because I got it. The Bible. But if you don't have this, you can't figure it out. It makes no sense to you how we think. The word of the Lord. He says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Arise. You know, throughout the ages, God has been instructing mankind to arise. He's always been doing that. In this case, he's calling Jonah to get up and out of his comfort zone and out of his own home and out of his own land. And, and he's saying, listen, I know it's not going to be very appealing. I know it's not going to be very comfortable to you. I realize that you may not be really on board 100%, but I have spoken to you and I've given you my word. And I have called you specifically. I've prepared you. I've engineered you. I've made you exactly what I want you to be in order to accomplish the mission I've given you. Now arise. Get up. Quit sitting around and doing nothing. Get up. It's time to get to work, Jonah. Enough of this. God's been crying out, arise, for generations. He instructed the patriarchs, the judges, the prophets. He's even, even in, he even instructed the parents of Jesus to arise. He cries out to the church today, and he gives us the same command. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. He tells us to arise. And if somebody has to arise, then obviously they're seated at least. Maybe they're even laying down. Hold on. You're going to be surprised what you read here. Notice what he says here in the book of Ephesians, though, as he attaches to this idea of arising. He doesn't just say arise as in you're sitting around sleeping. He says you're downright dead. Watch this. Wherefore he saith, chapter 5, verse 14 of Ephesians, Awake thou that sleepeth. Awake, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You say, man, I, you know, I'm struggling right now. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what step to take. I don't know where to head in life. Well, then awake out of sleep. Arise from the dead. <laughs> you say, what? That's what the verse says. 
See, nothing's really changed since Jonah's day here. God seeks to wake Jonah up from his prejudice, his laziness, and his apathy. Jonah, arise, he says. It's time. It's not time to relax or take it easy. It's time to work. To the church, he says, awake out of sleep and arise from the dead. A church that's sleeping is a dead church. You see how he puts it together? Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. A church that's sleeping is a dead church. A Christian that is sleeping is a dead Christian. You know, we like to believe, well, I'm not dead. I mean, I still love the Lord and all that. I'm just kind of taking it easy. No, you're dead. You're dead. Some of you, you got to know where I'm going with this. You know the show. You're dead to me. What is it? What's that show? Nobody knows who says that? Mr. Wonderful says that? What's that show called? Somebody help me here. Shark Tank, thank you. You guys act like you don't care about Shark Tank. Mr. Wonderful says, you're dead to me. Mr. Wonderful? Let me tell you something. You're dead, in a sense, if you're asleep. The church is dead if it's asleep. You go into a church that's sleeping, that's not busy in the work of God, it is a dead church. And if you find a Christian who's not busy in the work of God, they're a dead Christian. Oh, my relationship with the Lord's better than ever, but I just don't do nothing for Jesus. Well, you're going contrary to Scripture here. I don't know what to tell you, but the Word of the Lord says different. You can't do nothing for God and think that you're alive in the Lord. And I'm serving Jesus. Really? You're not serving him. Then you're, you're dead. You're dead. I'm not saying you're lost. Don't put words in my mouth. But you're dead. You're not just sleeping. You're dead. You say, why are you harboring on it? Because we don't like to listen to what God's word said. We want to redefine things as we see it. And I'm telling you, we better get back to God's word and, read, and fi- defining words, terms, and principles because until we do, we will continue to fall into suit or into lockstep with the world. The world is great at redefining what these, pa- what these words in the Bible mean. Why do you think 10,000 different versions come out of the Bible? Because every time they have to change so many words and you know what they do when they change words? They redefine meaning. We can't redefine what God has said. We've got to just accept what he says. And if it hits where it hits, it hits. If it hurts, it hurts, whatever. So wake up, church. Because if we're sleeping, we're dead. What we need is we need the breath of life like Adam got in the garden. We need the Lord to breathe into our nostrils the breath of life again. The Holy Spirit of God's got to do a work if he's going to raise us from the dead. Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. You know what the answer to dead church is? The answer to a dead Christian is? The Holy Spirit of God. Breathing into their nostrils the breath of life. 
It's, it's not just soul winning. It's a spiritual awakening. It's a recognition that we have drifted or taken a step away from the things of Christ. That we've lost our zeal for the Lord. And then say, Lord, you know what? I need you to come back and refire. Give me to refire again. You know, those buses over there in the in the, um, at least the old buses, the ones that we're going to be getting rid of, those old buses sometimes, you know, they wouldn't start. Sharon and I, uh, we went over there early on Sunday, what was it, the week before Christmas, and I was driving, I was going to drive the bus. And so I had to get a bus started. The problem was the bus didn't start. I contact somebody about it, and they tell me, well, there's a can of starter fluid you got to spray this stuff inside somewhere. I'm not, I don't know much about that stuff. Fortunately for me, I don't know who came over, if it was Brother Steve. Brother, I think it was Brother Cavanaugh showed up. Brother Don, he, he just was like, you're on your own, and he didn't care about me or anybody else. But, but Brother Cavanaugh, I think, showed up that morning, and he came over, and, and we were trying to decorate the bus. It was cold out there that day. It was the coldest day we've had since, I think. And, and so he takes this stuff, he walks over there, he, we, I lift up, we lift up the top, and, and all of a sudden he sprays something into a filter, psh, 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 walks around, gets in, starts trying to start it, and it didn't start. We had to spray a little bit more in, finally it started up. He breathed into that bus life. Psh. You know what, that's what we need. He got to breathe some life into us. If we're asleep, then the Bible equates us to being dead and we need the Holy Spirit to come along and breathe into our nostrils the breath of life. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. We don't just need a good message. We need a good dose of the Spirit of God. And then he says, in the passage, he says, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go. I wonder if you've ever heard that word used in the Bible before. What do you think about when you hear the word go? You probably thought about the passage in Matthew chapter 28 when the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Maybe you thought of Mark chapter 16, 15 when he says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, God's command to go has not always been accompanied with great anticipation and excitement. I mean, you, we, we, we always like to look back at the early church, the new church, and we see these disciples jumping on the bandwagon and getting fired up for Jesus, and they're going all over the place, preaching the gospel. They reach the world with it in their lifetime. And we're fired up, and that's exciting. But that hasn't, that's not how it's always been. Even in Jonah's day, the word of the Lord comes to him and the, and the, and the Lord says, hey, you go. And he goes, hmm, I, 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 that's just not, I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of adverse to, there's some people I don't really care about as much as others. And, and honestly, Lord, I, you know, that's, I'm just not feeling it. Matter of fact, I'm not feeling it so much, I'm just going to run. I can't stand... I can't stand you asking me, so I'm going to try to get out of your presence so I don't have to listen to you talk to me all day and ask me over and over again. (laughs) 
The New Testament church is called upon to do as Jonah was, to go. And in this case, he says, go to Nineveh. To Nineveh. See, God accompanies his call to go with a person or a place. In the New Testament church, he broadly commands to go to the entire world. You get to go to the world, church. Oh, wow, that seems like quite a bit. It is a lot. It's a lot. That's why we can't do it in our own strength. We've got to do it in his. However, he, gets, he often gets a little more specific in order to answer the prayers of people, his people. Or he gets a little bit more specific in order to reveal himself to a world in need. Maybe the Lord is telling you to go to somebody specifically. You know that that might be an answer to a believer's prayer. And God's trying to encourage their faith. And if you'll be obedient, you can help that believer. Or maybe there's a lost person who God knows has a tender heart at this point because of circumstances or situations in their life. And he says, I want you to go and to so-and-so. Or I want you to go over there on that street corner. I want you to go over here into that place and I want you to share the truth. I want you to pass out a track. I want you to tell somebody about me. He does that because he's answering the prayers of his people sometimes. And you could be the answer to prayer. Or he's revealing himself to the world that's in need. I think about Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Here we have the testimony, or the, should I say, the example of Philip. I mean, while in the very midst of a very fruitful evangelistic campaign, God directs Philip to the desert. The desert? I mean, he is seeing people saved. I mean, it's a, it's a revival going on. How in the world, why in the world would God avert his attention from this revival to where, where hundreds, maybe thousands are being saved to go out into the desert? Makes no sense. But obviously God thinks it makes a lot of sense. He's got a big plan. Notice he says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Desert? Philip says, I'm going to catch a ship anywhere but the desert. Do you know there's no water in the desert, Lord? Do you realize how uncomfortable I will be? Do you know that I can't take my wife in the desert? My children will need their dad. You don't see him doing that, do you? He just obeys the Lord. But you know what? He has a providential meeting that God has already arranged with an Ethiopian eunuch who will ultimately receive the Lord Jesus Christ and carry the gospel into the continent of Africa. Isn't that amazing? All because of one man's obedience to the word of the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? 
He says to Jonah, he says, Jonah, I'm speaking now. This isn't your conscience. This isn't just even the pastor. I'm speaking to you right now, and you know I'm speaking. Go to Nineveh. How did he respond? Not too good. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 11, we see another man that responds properly. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. I mean, can you imagine? Here's a man, Philip, he's over here, and the Ethiopian Union is trying to understand what he's reading. He's a religious man in need of Christ, and yet the Lord sends him specifically to a man, even though he's in the midst of a major revival. In this case, Ananias is being told, you're going to go talk to Saul of Tarsus, who, you know, drags people off to prison for their faith in Christ, and even kills people if they resist. And you know what? He does it. And you know what the result of that obedience was? He changed history. Saul changed. Saul turned to Paul, of course, we know. And as a result of his ministry, this, what we have today is a direct result of that. We're still following in his footsteps. All because of one man's obedience. A man by the name of Ananias who could have easily said, you know that you know, my insurance policy won't cover me if I go see him. But he went anyway. See, Paul or Saul had just encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. God knew something that Ananias didn't know. Sometimes God gets real specific in his direction and leadership in order to answer the prayers of his people or to reveal himself to a world in need. He goes on to say, and this is interesting to me, and we'll, we'll, we'll end with this, but he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh was the flourishing capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was also the home of King Sennacherib, king of Assyria, during the biblical reign of King Hezekiah. So this was a, I mean, it was a great city indeed in that sense. Not in the, the, not in the eyes of Jonah, however. Jonah didn't see it as a great city. I doubt it was considered great in God's eyes even solely because of its prominence or its wealth or its influence. And it had all of those things. It, although it was a very wicked city, God counted it great. And I think he counted it great because of the potential it represented. It was a large, thriving metropolis that represented a number of souls that needed saved. I believe God viewed that city with all its shortcomings, all the flaws, and all the abominations that literally could be found in it as a city that could be not only salvaged, but saved. I wonder how often do we look past the most needy sinners because we believe they're beyond hope or help. 
But can I tell you, every sinner represents great potential to God. Great potential. Because the sinner is a soul that can be saved. You know, not only that, but the the sinner that's saved testifies of God's reality. You realize that every time a sinner, especially the most wicked and vile ones, the ones that are well-known, you know, the, 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 the maniacs of Gadara, so to speak, when they get saved, there is no doubt that there has to be a God. It testifies of God's reality. It points to God's grace. There's no reason in the world why a maniac would be saved. There's no reason in the world why a, a sinful people like the, the Samaritans would be able to come to Christ or go to God. There's no reason for that except it be merely grace, all grace. When a sinner is saved, it reveals God's power and goodness. When the world sees somebody come to Christ and their life is transformed and changed, it says, man, there's a God, yes, but a God of power. A God that is so good and a God that is so great. We serve a good God, a great God. I believe Brother Josh was talking about that the other day. Well, I'll tell you, when we look at simple passages in the scriptures, when you can attach the word of God to anything, it takes on tremendous meaning. Simple words. Simple words like arise, go. They mean something much more when they're attached to the word of God. When's the last time you heard the word of God? Heard the voice of God? When's the last time he spoke to you? I promise you, it'll mean more than some words that a preacher says in this pulpit. And you will know when it's him speaking. Well, how will I know if it's just not me? You'll know. You say, well, I've never experienced that. I feel for you. And you need to say, Lord, please speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Oh, you won't hear him talk to you in an audible voice, but you will know when it thunders in your heart, his voice. Boy, it means a lot when he speaks. The question is this, will we obey him? What good did the voice of God do Jonah to start with? It put him in a belly of a whale because he ran from it. Never run from the voice of God, from the commands of God, the word of God. Don't do it. It will always lead you to a bad place. Simply obey it. Agree with God that he's right. And you will always appreciate and thank him for the outcome. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We, 
We pray, Lord, that you would just be with us tonight. And again, Lord, just some simple thoughts from the word of the Lord. And Father, I know, Father, that folks in this crowd could have stood up here and done and said exactly what I've said. They, I didn't share anything new with them. They knew all of this already, I'm sure. And Lord, but I pray that we may have been reminded just a little bit about how precious your word is and how important it is that we don't neglect it or that we don't overlook it, don't dismiss it, but instead listen and obey it. Father, there are so many people that you want to lead us to and direct us toward and help us, Father, not to run the other way for fear of not being either capable or qualified or fearful or afraid or to maybe even, even, maybe even disobedient or rebellious, Lord. May none of those things be true of us, but may we, Father, simply trust you and lean on you and allow you to guide us and direct us, knowing that you, you have a purpose and a plan and that you've engineered us, you've made us, you've created us, you've you formed us, and you knew us long before we even were born. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would just work in our lives now and help us, Father, to be grateful for that, and to be thankful for that intimate, personal relationship that we can have with you. Speak to us now, Lord, both through your word and through your still, small voice. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye